everyone, welcome back to another episode of Stripped by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kimchi on stage. You can catch me dancing on these strip club stages here in Vancouver, Canada at some point. Um, I don't know when I'll be dancing next at this point, but it's probably going to be... Um, actually, no, I lied. It's going to be next week at Shaker's Show Lounge. Um, feel free to pop in. Maybe you want to get a dance for me. Come chat about the podcast, which people have done, which is really, really cool. Or just uh, get a fun little dance for me. Um, I'm also, I was a former sugar baby many moons ago. I've spoken about that on other episodes. Feel free to peep that if you're interested in that. But I am most interested in our guest today, who I will be introducing in just a couple minutes here. I just want to do a quick shout out to our Patreon subscribers here. Um, We just have some new people that joined on. Um, We do have some new people that are on the top tier as well. Um, Big shout outs go out to Snoo Stew, all the way from Germany. We have Jay Sunsern, all the way from Canada, where I am uh, located, and Justin Erickson, based in the USA, and Rup Sarkar, who's also here in Canada. Thank you all for being on the top tier, for donating and subscribing every single month for the low, low price of um, going up to $10, but you're more than welcome to come peep that on the Patreon page. There's different tiers there that are accessible and your support helps, um, support the show helps keep me going. Um, one day I will buy a new mic and a new system, uh, to record as well. But, um, as you all might know, this is entirely a accessible resource. Anyone can listen to it. It's free and it's a really great educational piece. I want to say if you never not in the sex industry, if you're just like in the vanilla life, which is totally cool. Um, it's, it's a really, really great thing you can learn from. And again, just one step to getting us closer to destigmatizing the industry and my own little way of doing that. So so thank you so much. Shout out to all those on Patreon. Feel free to check that out. Patreon.com slash stripped by Sia. So going back to this week's guest, I am super, super, super excited to bring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee onto the show today. And I'm going to be listing out all of the things she does because she is amazing. And I just can't wait to try to pack it all in today's episode. But if you're not familiar, Dr. Lori Beth is a sex and intimacy coach, a registered psychologist, accredited advanced GSRD, which is gender, sex, relationship diverse therapist, and host of the podcast, The A to Z of Sex. And if you've If you are familiar with the name, you might have heard her or maybe seen her on television as well as a relationship expert on Open House, The Great Sex Experiment. Dr. Lee Beth, you do all of the things and I just want to say hello and (laughs) bring you on the show. I'm just like listing out everything and there are more things. There are more things, but I'm like... I think this is relevant. (laughs) Yeah, like we can talk. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We're happy to have you here. And I'm just really excited to pick your brain on all the things in terms of like sex and intimacy coaching, talking a little bit about trauma as well. Um, A lot of us um, have experienced trauma. Not a a stereotype, no. Like a lot of us have had some trauma or we're holding on to a lot of that. So I really want to kind of touch base on that. And also just hear about your own story as well because I read a little bit online, but I would love to hear your own story in your own words as well. But before we move on to things, I would love to kind of hear yourself and turn like talk about like who you think you are, how you define yourself in your own words and terms. (laughs) So I define myself as a queer, polyamorous leather woman. Um, I live in a 24-7 authority transfer-based relationship, otherwise for people in previous terms was known as power exchange, but we don't use that term anymore. Oh. The reason we don't use that term is that you actually don't hand your power over ever. And it's important that people understand that your power is your power. Um, and so uh, I use the example of if you are, if you own a really nice car and your friend asks, can I drive your car? You give them the keys to the car, but you don't give them the car. Right. 
Right. And so when you are handing over, you're handing over authority, but you always have power. And that means that the relationship is fully consensual and you can leave at any time. You can stop at any time. And I think that's always an important thing for people to understand when you say that you live this way, because people panic when you say you live this way. Right. Okay. I had no idea that 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 term was like no longer used. So thank you already. I'm already learning. We try. We're trying educating one person at a time. Um, I still think a lot of people, because when you just come into the idea of BDSM and and um, and the the power dynamic of it, people still use power exchange so much that I think it'll be a long time before that gets dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's more accurate to talk about handing over authority. Authority, right. And we can definitely get into a little bit of that later too because we have had a lot of people that are in the kink community as well as the BDSM community and polyamory community as well come onto the show too. So I'd love to to hear a bit more about that too when we get into the nitty-gritty of everything. But sorry to interrupt your introduction there. (laughs) That's how I live personally as a a therapist. I have two specialties. Uh, One of them is the treatment of trauma. Um, I co-authored a book on that mm-hmm. in 1988. Oh my God, I'm aging myself. Um, <laughs> and um, the other one is um, gender, sex, and relationship diversity. So basically that means that while I will work with anybody about sex and intimacy issues and relationship issues, most of my clientele are considered to be living in all, some form of alternative lifestyle. An alternative lifestyle ends up being defined as anything from LGBTQ to um, kink and BDSM, to non-monogamy, to sex work, because people consider that to be alternative. So that's most of my clientele. Right. Um, right. And and work-wise, that's where I specialize. Gotcha. And that's really interesting because you mentioned um, sex work as part of that group as well. Like, and, you know, some, a lot of people do think it's alternative, Um, what would you say about that? Because like, again, like for me and my show, I'm just really trying to normalize our profession just because it is just like, I mean, it's not like any other job, but like it, it should be treated as such. So I would love for you to kind of like hear hear a little bit about your own uh, thoughts on that. Well, so, I mean, I like it actually ending up in the alternative category because it emphasizes the fact that it's a choice. Mm-hmm. And so it normalizes sex work from the point of view of saying this is a choice that people make. Um, and it is a choice that might look different from a heteronormative standard lifestyle choice. Um, and that actually sex work has its own set of challenges when it comes to sex and relationships. And I think um, if a therapist doesn't recognize that there are challenges, not reasons to get out of sex work mm-hmm. has challenges right like my work has challenges to, to relationships because of what I do every day there are specific challenges that arise in my personal relationships and so I look at sex work in the same way because of what a sex worker does every day there are particular challenges that arise in sex and relationships that we would look at but not with the bias that often comes with that when somebody goes to see a coach a counselor or a therapist which is they localize the problems in what you do for a living. Right. Yeah. And uh, like we've spoken to a couple of therapists on the show at some point too that are sex worker friendly therapists because as you know, and you mentioned there is bias out there too. And like not a lot of therapists are sex worker friendly or as you mentioned, will be trying to convince you to get out. Of they're not, not only not friendly, they're not knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. So they haven't patronized any kind of sex work themselves. They've not been exposed to sex work. They don't understand what a wide range that is. Um, and so even if you are not biased, to not know anything about it can be problematic. Yeah, and I feel that that definitely is, yeah, you hit the nail on the head for that one for sure, just because like what – then what kind of advice could you possibly give if you are so like far away from that world and you have no depth or no knowledge, um, no empathy to deal with that? That can be really dangerous um, and not a safe environment for a sex worker seeking that kind of therapy. So 
Yeah, and we'll definitely speak about stuff like that later on in the show as well. There's lots to talk about today. I'm going to, again, trying to squeeze it all in this tight little hour. But Lori Beth, I would really love to hear like your upbringing, um, your background and stuff as well, and how it got you here. How did you get yourself here? (laughs) So, I mean, I grew up in a household where boundaries were very variable. So I grew up not feeling like I had a lot of rights to to say no and to, to, to establish nice, clear physical boundaries and nice, clear emotional boundaries. Um, and as a result of being in that environment, um, I had some experiences as a an adolescent that were not optimal. And, and then I went away to university. And I already knew that I was sexually different from what I was being taught about, you know, the little teaching we got in school. People need to keep in mind, I am not a young woman. So we had even less um, training and there was no internet when I was growing up. <laughs> Let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. The first home computers didn't come out until I was um, in university. <laughs> so that just gives you kind of a context. Um, and so I knew I was different. And part of the way I knew that was by saying something to one of my friends who went, what are you talking about? Oh, no. And so, yeah, no, it was really awful. Um, <laughs> so that's where sort of a desire to understand started when I was in university, um, I'd already identified that I liked, uh, being in the submissive role during sex. Um, I identified that before I was, I identified that when I was 15, 14. Um, and so, um, a friend of mine introduced me to a man and he turned out to be a monster. And I had at 19, an experience that caused me to get post-traumatic stress disorder. I was kept a prisoner for five days and multiply abused. And it was really life-changing, yes, but it was a really intense experience that had a number of impacts, one of which was I got post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, The other bit, though, was that as far as my sexuality was concerned, because what I wanted was some of the things that he did to me before he became a monster. So for two weeks, he was a doll and then he was a monster. Um, It screwed me up because now I wanted things that I felt led to me ending up in this situation. So I thought it was all my fault. But even afterwards, I still wanted them. So it was a real mess to untangle. What do I do with my desires when my desires seem to be screwed up? And ended up getting me in trouble. So when I went, I decided to go to school to study psychology. And the two areas that I was interested in were the treatment of trauma and um, sex and relationships because of my background. And so that's what I ended up looking at. And I spent the first part of my career completely embedded in the trauma world with a small practice around sex and relationships. And then I built up the sex and relationships practice. Wow. And there you are. There here you are today. Yeah. And I, I mean, I got, I treat people in the way that I was treated that, that helped me get rid of the PTSD. So, you know, I, I got successful treatment and I don't have, and haven't had PTSD for many, many years. Wow. Um, It is, I wouldn't really remember the anniversary of the trauma anymore, except that my son happens to be born right on the anniversary. Oh my gosh. Um, And so it'll be 40 years this year. Wow. Since, since that. Um, and my life is absolutely amazing. Couldn't be more different than I was right after that. So for people who have experienced intense trauma, it is actually possible not to just learn to manage your triggers, but actually to have that be something that's in your past and to go on and thrive and and just be content and happy in your life and make really good choices. That's amazing. And that's so like nice to hear as well, just because I, and I know there's a lot of listeners that have had trauma and suffer from anxiety. And, and that just seems to be like really comforting to know that there, it is possible to move on from that, like really move on. Not, not like what you said too, just like managing your triggers, but to ha- have that separation. So that, that's amazing. And I'm really sorry um, to hear 
what happened to you and just thank you for sharing and being vulnerable right now with that because it's it's hard it's really well hard. i mean it, it really isn't that hard for me to talk about anymore mm-hmm. because it is really in my past and I, 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 when i was on um, open house i was dealing with a guy who was talking about um a trauma that he'd experienced and he was insisting that he was over it and he kept getting really really angry about it and i i said to him do you want to know how you know when the trauma is finished you no longer regret that it happened. You no longer care. It's not important anymore. Mm -hmm. And I get really uptight that therapists are still telling people that the only way to to do this is to manage it, that there's no way to actually put this in your past, that you just have to learn to defuse things and step lightly around them and manage them. And that's just not true. So that's one of my big soapboxes that I, t- I constantly tell people that it is actually <laughs> possible to have a life after trauma. You do have to do the right work. Yeah. So you need the right trauma therapy and it is hard work. You know, no lie. It is hard work. But if you're willing to do that, then you can move on. Um, I wrote my memoir some years ago. I wrote um, an erotic memoir instead of writing a straightforward memoir. (laughs) And just like you're trying to normalize sex work, one of the things for me was normalizing extreme kinks. And so what I did was my erotic memoir, you have a piece of erotica, then a description of my history that I relate to that piece of erotica, and then a little bit of analysis throughout the book. Cool. That it is, is so it's really awesome. Cool. It's really cool. Um, but right after I wrote that, people were like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? And I was like, I am now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I wasn't then, right? And, yeah. and, and I think that's what the important thing is, is that I am now, but I wasn't then. Mm-hmm. And lots of people have trauma that isn't of the same level of devastation as mine was. Like I gave the very bare bones here in the book. It goes into it in detail, but also lots of people have trauma that I would call like ordinary trauma in quotes, Mm. which are the things that many of us experience, like catastrophic loss when somebody that we're very close to dies, um, losing pets. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Ordinary, but it can have just as much of an impact. Yeah. I mean, like, how do you measure the impact it can have in someone? Because, like, if I can share, a, like, my own trauma on the podcast, um, I was sexually assaulted at the age of 18. And I don't know, like, I maybe it's just the way that I've internalized it or maybe, like, I'm very okay and open to talking about it. But, like, what – what I feel is I just don't feel like I have been that affected by it or maybe that's just how I'm packaging it, but I can talk freely about it. Um, I just feel like I should have been more devastated about it. What can you tell about that? There is because like there is no should. And that's one of the things that drives me crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So you were sexually assaulted and it didn't impact you to the intensity that you thought it would because of what everybody talks about. Yeah. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. Everybody's resilience levels are different. Um, everybody's got a whole different constellation of events. And you just say sexual assault. Now, some people would describe what I went through as, as rape and sexual assault. Mm-hmm. But I bet what I went through and what you went through are, are categorically, there are very few people who have been through what I've been through. So I can co- confidently say I probably went through something that was what other people would go, that was bigger, right? Right. It doesn't matter. I could have been less affected and you could have been more affected. You never know. So rather than kind of figuring out where what you should be feeling, look at what you are feeling. If it's not, If it's not something that causes you symptoms, in your life. It doesn't trigger and it doesn't cause you to try to avoid things or doesn't cause intrusive thoughts, doesn't make you anxious, then there's, that's fine. It's a part of life that you have integrated. Mm -hmm. And there's no need to be worried about the fact that it isn't a big thing, right? Yeah. And that's the thing too, just because like, I don't know, I just feel like society has fed us. Like we have to feel this way or we have to feel something or we have to behave in a certain way. And like, I mean, basically, I was raped by two men and, like, for for me, like, I just feel like I 
don't react the same way as maybe other people or my peers have acted. And it just puts me in a weird place because it, it like puts me in a place where like I – it doesn't feel like I can empathize with them, but I, I can. But like it's just a tricky spot to be in if that makes any sense at all. Like it's yeah, I mean, weird. You know, it's, it's the, the, the thing is, is that, rea- you know, reactions aren't public. I mean, it's very important for us to normalize things so that people understand what you might go through. But it's equally important that we let people know that we are all different. And just because somebody's not reacting in the way that you've seen in the movies or the way that somebody's described, you know, that, you know, the, the um, therapist that you've spoken to, people who have presented online, you know, mm-hmm. the movie of the week, whatever, has <laughs> described, it doesn't mean that somebody's um, doing something wrong or that it's really there deep down and it's only going to come out later. You know, sometimes that's true. Sometimes people really shove stuff down and it comes out later, but other times it isn't. And we don't, we don't know all the factors that cause people to experience trauma, emotional, on the emotional side, when things happen that are terrible. Right. We don't know what causes one person 100 percent to get post-traumatic stress disorder and the next person to be upset for a couple of weeks and then sort it out. Right. There's so many factors involved. Yeah, we have some ideas. Like one of the things we know is the more trauma you've experienced, the more likely you are to have a response. But we also know that the more trauma you've experienced, the less likely you are to have a response. And so people are like, what is what are you saying? What that means is that for any given event, the fact that you've already experienced a lot of trauma will protect you to some degree. But it also means that particular events, and we can't predict which ones they were, if they do strike home, are likely to cause you to have a stronger response. Right. Gosh, I mean, this whole world is completely fascinating. (laughs) And I'm sure we can spend hours and hours talking about just trauma alone. Um, But I do, I know like a lot of people, especially people in the audience, um, we always love and going back to kind of what you were mentioning earlier with um, the outdated term of power exchange, um, but you're now referring to as authority transfer. I'd love to hear more about that because there is a lot of people that do listen to the show and are also part of that community as well. Um, Can you talk to us about power in general and like how that contributes to different types of relationships like BDSM, like our community and like polyamory? Okay. So um, all relationships have power dynamics, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Ordinary relationships have power dynamics. There's always um, a back and forth between who's in charge of what, and who's in, in and and who's following? Who's leading? Who's following? Who's following? Who's leading? There's always a back and forth. And the easiest example is to get to give is a traditional sort of old style marriage, right? In an old fashioned marriage, um, the man is the provider, and he goes out into the world and does the things in the world, and the woman is taking care of the home. And in lots of those households. Who has the final word? It's the man of the house. He has the final word on everything, right? Right. He delegates things to her, but for big things, he's the final word. So if you look at that, that's just a power exchange right there. Right. Right. It's a, it's a power dynamic. Mm -hmm. He's in control overall. She has control over a certain area. It's not negotiated because people just kind of accept that from what they've grown up learning about. Right. That's the problem. When people are in the kink and BDSM community, what they do is they actually negotiate the power dynamic. And what's great about that is that you can decide what you are willing to surrender control over and what you're not. And so you can create something that's tailor-made. Now, I will do a little diversion here into it's very popular to talk about... um, the fact that um, in polyamory that things should be equal and every relationship should be equal. And, right. I've heard that before. Yeah. It's rubbish. There, equality, equality is really difficult, right? To get right. everything 
exactly equal is really difficult. Equality also means nobody's special. And that's not what anybody really wants when they're talking about what they want in a relationship. What they mean when they're saying it needs to be equal is I don't feel as special as that other person over there. Right. I want to feel as special, right? Yeah, of course. So um, rather than kind of do this thing where we're trying to make things equal, which never works anyway, look at where the balances are going to be is a much easier way to do it. And again, because you're openly negotiating it. So power is sexy, right? Yeah. Power is really sexy, which is why people bother with authority transfer, right? Because power Mm -hmm. is sexy. Um, And particularly um, if you are somebody who in life wields a lot of power, letting go of power is also very sexy. Yes, yes. Being able to give up control is amazingly fun when you are the one who's making all the decisions and in control in the world. Right. And like this topic comes a lot up a lot too on the show because like there are lots of situations and even in sex work that like the work that we do, uh, we tend to take on different roles or like do role playing in relationships or or with our clients and stuff as well. I'd really be curious to hear about um, the power dynamic between say a provider and a client, how that works. So that's a harder one. That's complicated, right? Very complicated. Because even if they're asking you to be in the submissive role, right? Um, that's actually somewhat easier if they're asking you to be in the submissive role. But let's say they want you to be dominant. Right. But they're paying you. Yes. And that cash has power attached to it, right? Yes. The currency is power. The, the, the power is flowing towards you. They're giving you this because that's power in the world for you. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So let's say you're going to be dominant with somebody, but you don't want to do any of the things that he, he or she wants to do. Right? Okay. They do. That's problematic because if you say, well, I'm not willing to do any of those things, but and the things you're willing to do, they're not interested in. You've lost a client. Right. Yeah. Whereas well, if you're doing that kind of if you're doing that kind of power exchange with a partner or in, in a situation in which money is not changing hands, so it's not a professional relationship, it's a personal relationship, you can negotiate beforehand and then hand over during the whole session. And then you know, you are free to do everything you want to do within the limits that you guys agreed upon before the session. Right. It's a little bit more different. You've, I think sex workers feel less free to be themselves in those circumstances because there's a script that somebody might come to you with. And even though it's not your thing and it doesn't really turn you on, if you're going to satisfy the customer and therefore have a repeat customer, you have to kind of do the script. Yeah, yeah, I definitely hear you. And this, and I I was really curious to talk to you about this because like back in my time as a sugar baby, going back to that cash is power, that was always above my head tempting me to be like, okay, if you do this, this, and this, then you'll get more money. I'll pay you more. And I'd be tempted by that even though that was crossing my boundaries. But then back in the day, I didn't have boundaries. So like that was (laughs) – that was a whole thing. But I mean, like, I, I'm curious to hear about, like, how for those who are, you know, say, like, we we um, kind of have already negotiated what we wanted, and that's fine. We're not going to be crossing boundaries or anything like that. Like, who has the power in that, say? Would it be for the provider or would it be for the client? Well, there's, I mean, it depends on what you're doing, right? It's like, if you're not, if you're doing a full on authority transfer, then if you've already negotiated the boundaries and you're going to stick to the boundaries and you're the dominant person, then you might be the one who's got the control, the power there, the authority there, right? Yeah. But, um, or you might be giving it up. If you're going to be the submissive side, you might be giving it up, but you know, but there's always the possibility in, in that kind of relationship 
more so, I think, than in personal ones, although people do push boundaries in personal ones, too. There's always that possibility that what you described, I've heard other people describe, right? Where <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, you know, the person that I was escorting, you know, and I've heard it a lot, actually, from sugar babies, where like mm-hmm. the guy that I was dating, and this was definitely the role, you know, I set my boundaries, and then he would say, well you know, I'd like you to do this and then I'll, you know, I'll buy you this or I'll give you that or, and so that was definitely the means of power right there, the currency. For sure. And like, it's interesting that you you mentioned that you hear a lot coming from sugar babies because again, like, I just feel like a lot of sugar daddies will try to take advantage of sugar babies because we don't have these boundaries established or because we can possibly be tempted with more cash as opposed to like professional escorts like we'll have a services menu and if it's not on there you're not going to entertain that and don't even think if you're a client you're going to be starting to bring that up midway through your session because you're going to be blocked deleted and kicked out like right away you know what I mean? Well, that's because you have very clear boundaries as an escort there. And that in the sugar baby relationship, because it's a girlfriend sort of experience, experience. Right. the problem is people don't set really clear boundaries. You can, though, mm-hmm. right? You can decide that that's what you're going to do. And you educate your client about that because they're still a client, right? Yes. You know, you're still a client and, and they know that, mm-hmm. you know, they can pretend in their mind whatever they want to pretend. But if they're supporting you and you have one or more than one of them supporting you and that's what you do for work, they're your client. And right. so you can you can actually choose to say, yes, although I don't have the same kind of menu of services that somebody who is doing this on a, on a, an hourly basis or a nightly basis, one night at a time, I do actually have my limits. Right. These are the things that are included in me being a sugar baby. These are the things, these are my limits. Mm-hmm. These limits are not negotiable. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that does that conversation probably doesn't happen as often as it needs to. And I'm just Absolutely. I'm just speaking from personal experience. So <laughs> but well, I mean the expectation is that is that you won't have the conversation. That's why. So yeah. if you're educated to know that it's a good thing to do, then you will bring it up. But the expectation from the guy's side is you won't have that conversation. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, and I don't want to harp on men, but I feel like sometimes <laughs> I'm just, I hate generalizing too because that's also problematic and it doesn't, it's not productive. But generally speaking, some, and this is more so in terms of like bad clients, but hearing men trying to push boundaries, is this something common that you're hearing a lot as a therapist or like even as like a sex coach, men trying to push the boundaries more than the women or women trying to push like on in this like heteronormative scale. I think, like, I think, <laughs> I think that um, that things can feel different depending on the gender, mm-hmm. right? And that, that people, um, male presenting folk pr- push different kinds of boundaries than female presenting folk do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. um, even as a therapist, people push boundaries. Right. I mean, the, the biggest boundary for me is, is that this is an obvious one. So um, I do, I've got a lot of free content out there. You know, I've got my podcast, I've, I've been on the television show and I've done a lot of podcasts and I write articles and all this stuff. And on my website, I've got a media page where this will be, when this comes out, this will be one of the links on the media page. And I usually have about 24 to, to 30 links on the page at a time. But I do a lot of stuff. So, you know, so you can find a ton of free content done by me. And there's a blog on there. Loads, loads and loads and loads of free content. And yet people will write me and say, I have a question or I just want to want one thing. So um, I've taken to um, I have a nice little automatic automated response now that says, hi, you know, sorry about this, but I really I can't do this anymore because I just get so many requests. Yep. And I save my individual ad- advice and work for my paying clients. Of course. You, know, you can go do my free stuff. And But here are some ways of getting my help at lower cost, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've got to get an email response to a question, right, is the cheapest thing you can do with me. Then yep. there's get a video response to your personal question. 
and then uh, a half hour at a reduced cost to discuss if we're going to work further or right. deal with one issue. So those are, that's kind of the gradation. Then you're getting into my regular rates, whatever. Right. And yet, no matter how many times I send this out, invariably, I will be asked two or three more times when it's a man. But I only have one question. Yes, and there's a link for you to go and and and, yeah. and do the one question. But why can't I have that one question for free? Ah, uh, yes. Because I don't work for free. Yes. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's just that simple. It is. This is my livelihood. The same as you don't work for free. Yes, I was just going to. As a that. sex worker, you have a time limit, and your time limit is your time limit because this is your livelihood, and you are selling your time in a sense. I mean, yes, other things, but, but you really are selling your time. And so you can't go over your time limit and not be paid because it cuts into your livelihood. Exactly. Oh, that was so eloquently put. Thank you so much for that because we, we get that a lot. Um, again, like with our websites, with the bombarding of DMs and Twitter and tweets and really trying to take our time away from us. And it's just like, okay, yes, but now like here's my OnlyFans link. You can go ahead and subscribe there. I will answer your questions there in my on my paid platform. Right. So there, there, are, there are ways of you to get our services. Yes. And there's a scale from the quite cheap, right, mm-hmm. to the very expensive because you're having my undivided attention in person. So there's there's a whole scale for you to get that. And yet people will still push that or, you know, an extra five minutes, an extra 10 minutes, an extra 15. It's like, no, it, no, no, it just doesn't work that way. But it's fascinating to me that even when you set the boundary that there's that pushback. Constantly. And then I think it's funny that um, I have yet to have anybody actually go ahead and pay for the answer to a question. So they'll wait until I block them because I've had to block people because they, they one person has changed their name four times. Jeez. Every, every time I block, I get it from another. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and hit me up on, on every social media platform and, um, got my phone number and hit me up on WhatsApp as well. Thank you. Know, and it's like, yeah, really. So I'm blocking everywhere, but really with the amount of time and energy you invested, this, the, the re- relatively small amount of money I was asking for, you could have just gotten what you wanted. Right. Yeah, could have by, by simply doing that. But for some reason, you know, setting the boundary is, is, is difficult because people don't take well to it. No, they don't. Or they don't take it seriously or they don't see it as a boundary or they don't value your time, which sometimes it just boils down to that and then will not pay for it. And like, again, we've had like this conversation so many times on the podcast, like, you know, people not paying for porn, people not paying for, you know, our time and like wanting to chat with them and do all the stuff. Like we just don't have time. <laughs> we just don't have time. Well, and, I know, and I know, you know, with sex work, it's, it, it's, I mean, significantly harder than the position that I'm in because ultimately – you know, I don't have to interact one-on-one to encourage clients in the way that you do when you're on paid platforms, right? Yeah, it's right. So somebody who's paying you very little, you you still have to spend quite a bit of time on because you're wanting to. You have to encourage the ongoing income. Yeah, and I'm not doing that. So it, it, I mean, you're already having to put out comparatively quite a bit of time per um, what you end up receiving. Totally. Um, and, and there's a limit to the amount of hours there are in a day. So, so the boundaries are really important, but also I don't think, you know, I think this is, and this is universal as of yet, people aren't actually, aren't brought up to learn to have boundaries and respect boundaries yet. I mean, I think that's happening now more than it used to. Yeah. I mean, now, I mean, um, for those who don't know, and I know you probably don't know this yet because we just met today, but I also work with like a sexual health educator too. And I know that they're trying to teach consent and boundaries now in like elementary school, but we never had those conversations when I was growing up, when I was a kid or a teen or anything. Like those conversations never happened. So I feel like there are some strides to try to normalize that and just have that to be like, we need to teach this. This is important. You know, so <laughs> we were talking about power before we with with um, 
and you asked about power in the exchange, in the sex work exchange. And mm-hmm. one of the ways that people try to assert their power is by pushing your boundaries. Mm-hmm. And it happens too, too often, too often. <laughs> but I mean, going along with boundaries, I mean, that's also really important to have um, whenever you're being intimate with someone. And I know you also offer sex coaching and intimacy coaching. Can you quickly tell the audience what that is? Because I'm sure there's a lot of assumptions of what that might entail. So, um, you know, therapy, we tend to look at the past. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we do look at things going on in the present, but we tend to start in the, in the present. We spend a lot of time in your childhood and all of that. We're working on a lot of the emotional stuff. Some, I mean, this is the big generalization guys, but that's the work of therapy looks in the past first and then comes to the present. Coaching starts in the present. You do get a little bit of past for context, but you start in the present and you're working forward. So the idea is you're working on the issues in the here and now, and you're working forward. And so a lot of sex coaching and intimacy coaching for me, once I've got a pattern history up from you, is helping people create new patterns and learn new skills. Mm -hmm. So some of those skills are communication skills because people's communication skills are notoriously bad. (laughs) Um, some of those skills are, um, are sex skills or uh, BDSM skills or things like that. I will give you stuff that you can do with a partner to learn. Mm -hmm. I do not do the hands-on work. Right. There are people who do. Right. I don't. Um, and I don't because it would be confusing because I also do therapy with people and there you couldn't, Mm -hmm. right. That would be frowned upon in a big way. Um, and so because I have both roles, even if I'm sticking to one, the other, one role with somebody and I'm not doing therapy, it's just easier for me not to be involved in that part of it. Gotcha. So um, the most people have ever seen me do is a demonstration with, with a partner of mine, mm-hmm. we demonstrate for something for somebody so they can see how you might do it. Gotcha. Um, that makes sense. But, but most of the coaching is around skills. Um, and helping people to communicate more and helping people get rid of shame because shame is a big thing that comes in, um, own their desires, find their desires, you know? So sometimes, um, I'll send people to sex workers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Well, (laughs) so one of the things like I remember, um, and I did this recently, I was talking to a couple who were opening up and, um, they were really struggling uh, around jealousy and around fears that anybody that they opened up with was going to want to um, step into the relationship. And they just couldn't manage those fears. Now, in the show that I was on, we had a closed environment that made that easier. So it made it possible for people to manage fe- the fears when they first tried something out. And I was there to help with the emotions that came up. And that was that's the whole point of the show. But in the world, yeah, if you don't know how to risk assess, it can be difficult. You can be worried that somebody's really going to come and try and steal your partner or whatever. So I said, well, why don't you just hire a sex worker? Yeah. And these people were completely shocked with me. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, what you And I said, well, if you hire a woman and you tell her what you want and it's within her services, so she accepts the job, then she's there to do her job. She'll have a great time with you. Don't, I mean, you know, it's not like she's going to be, you know, not there, not present, not taking part, but she's there to do her job. And when her job is over, she goes away. Yeah. That's how it works. That's what the service is. And so that way you don't have to worry that she wants something from this man. You know, she's not looking for a personal relationship with your partner or he's not. I've sent people to male sex workers as well, um, or he's not, you know, they, they're just not, they're there to do their job. And so you can try something out with somebody who's got experience, mm-hmm. who knows what they're doing and who takes that emotional burden away from you to see if it's something you even want. That's so genius. Cause I feel like a lot of the times, and, and thank you for sending people our way. That's just amazing. I, I love to hear that. As I feel like how often does a conversation come up in terms of like, I guess, the je- playing on that jealousy conversation. Is that a common thing that, that comes up in conversation like a lot? <laughs> Pretty All, the oh, All the time. All the time. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, one of the, one of the sad things is, is that um, I don't belong to this organization, so I'm not concerned about it. But there are a couple of therapy organizations in the United Kingdom 
that if you refer to a sex worker, you can get struck off. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, the bias is that bad. That is awful. The bias is that bad. And so, like, you can't even refer to a surrogate. And I refer to surrogates as well because, you know, because yeah. I'm, not, I'm not doing that part of the work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's work to be done. And there's nothing to me. Going to a professional does a lot of things. And I mean a professional, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not telling them to go find somebody on Craigslist or right. want ads. Um, although, you know, these days, because of the new laws, that might be the yeah. place you can be. So please, I'm not trying to insult people who have to advertise there. But I'm look, I'm talking about people who are professional. This is their job. They get themselves tested. They make sure that that they're sexually healthy. They have boundaries. They're clear about what they'll do and what they won't do. That's if you're going to be experimenting and you want to take some of the fears out of picking somebody at random in the world, that's a nice way to do it. Totally. Totally. I mean, going back to like your clients and stuff too, are they mostly couples? Are they individuals or like who are they mostly? I have everybody. 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 <laughs> I see individuals. I see couples. I see hetero couples, gay couples, mixed couples, trans couples. I see threes and fours. Yeah, I see everybody. And I also run groups. So, um, yeah, I have a really good time. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> I mean, like going back to the conversation in terms of like um, who can benefit from this. I know that like a lot of clients might be able to see sex therapists for whatever anxiety that they may have or nervousness or stigma or shame. Do you want to speak a little bit about that and like what that – how you can help solve that? I know, I know that everyone's different and their each case is different, but go into that. But, okay. So I work with people specifically on looking at um, where, the sh where the shame comes from a bit. We're not going to go and try and find – Sometimes people come and they want to know where the where the kink comes from. Yeah. Trace it back to its origin. That's a waste of money most of the time, right? Because it's not easy to do and it takes a long time. And so the more time you're with me, the, the more expensive it is, right? Yeah. So <laughs> you don't really want to be doing that. Um, but sometimes it's good to be able to identify where is the shame coming from? What is the shame around? And I do specific things to help people bust that shame. From And that runs the gamut from some of it from educating. Like sometimes people aren't aware that there are whole communities out there that share their kink. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm teaching a, a bunch of, on, on a conference for a bunch of therapists in February about humiliation kinks. Because um, if you're not into humiliation that you can get disgusted very quickly and you show that on your face. And of course, the client then sees it and so much for the therapy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so stuff like that and really help people to feel comfortable with whatever it is they desire, as long as what they're desiring, they're doing with consent. Right. I won't help normalize anything that requires somebody who is non-consensual or a non-consensual creature on the other end. That's criminal mm -hmm. behavior. That totally. Um, but other than that, it's really just working around helping people to feel comfortable with who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then, and then a lot of the time it's skills, skills practicing again. So right. once you are comfortable, but you're still a little bit anxious about talking to people, practicing talking about it until you are able to talk about it. I also noticed that people don't learn how to risk assess for partners. Mm -hmm. You know, you oh. will risk assess when you get on a plane, you risk assess when you spend your money. Um, we risk assess all sorts of things that we do health wise, but we don't often, we don't actually risk assess when we meet people. So people kind of forget to pay attention to what their gut's telling them because mm -hmm. the messages they've had from childhood override, you know, so they don't pay attention. Um, so teaching people how to really be in contact with their gut so that they make good partner choices because that's a big thing, you know, it's, it's being careful who you're speaking to mm -hmm. so that you're comfortable being open and honest. Yeah. I never even thought about that, but you're absolutely correct. That doesn't happen very often or I don't hear no. about it even. No, I mean, I, I mean, I, particularly with people who've been traumatized, I spent a lot of time um, on the 
after the kind of therapy to deal with the symptoms, the next bit of, of recovery and, and really getting your life back is to learn the, the things that you were talked out of. And one of those is really getting back in touch with your gut so you can make better choices. Um, and you know, the number of the, one of the most common ones, the number of women who will report that they felt uncomfortable about a person who then goes on to assault them, but they talk themselves out of it because they could hear their mom saying, oh, you're too picky. Mm. You know, he has a good job and he's a nice man or right. Things like that, where people will talk themselves out of their gut feeling or people who will not walk out of a, a, a abusive relationship. This goes for all genders because the person hasn't done something bad enough yet. Oh, no. You know, I mean, I remember saying, well, why haven't you left? Um, well, you know, she didn't hit me. But you're miserable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But you've been taught you need a reason to. Yeah. Instead of being able to actually assess, okay, how healthy is this for me? What kind of danger am I in? What are the risks I'm taking? And if, even when you talk about sexual health, it's a really important one. So mm -hmm. uh, do you use a condom when you have oral sex, right? Right. Or do, you use, or do you use a dental dam when you have oral sex? Those are the two questions. And um, people will often say, well, no, I don't like it. No, no, no. Okay. So look, that's fine. As long as you know the risk you're taking. The same as if you go bareback when you're having penetrative sex, you are taking a risk. And so I'm not telling you what risk to take. That's not my business. I'm not the morality police. That's, no. not, that's <laughs> not my function. You can do whatever you choose to do. What I want you to do is actually make a conscious choice, which requires you to think about what the risks are. Absolutely. You, know, you want to take a bunch of drugs and go to a sex party? you decide that that's a reasonable risk, you can do that. But I want you to be able to explain to me what the risks are and what the benefits are and then go and make your choice consciously. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like sometimes, you know, maybe a lot of the time we don't even think about that. And sometimes we are just too spontaneous or too in the moment or, or things like that. Like, you know, people don't – I mean, like people my age, when I was like 20 before, I never thought about using – like a lot of protection when it came to like, when it came to like oral sex and I never is, see it at risk. The thing is, is that you, if, if you risk assess, then you can be in the moment. Mm -hmm. It's just like setting up your boundaries in advance and having the negotiation in advance. If you do that in advance, then you can be really present, which you really want to be because you have the most fun when you're in the moment. Absolutely. But if you don't do that in advance, lots of times people aren't fully there because they're acting in ways that aren't helpful to them. Mm -hmm. Totally. I mean, I asked you about like clients, um, like clients of sex workers seeing you. Um, but what about sex workers seeing you? Because I don't know. I feel like maybe we need some coaching sometimes. Maybe we have our own issues when it comes to intimacy, when we can't separate the two, or maybe we're just not turned on anymore. Stuff like that. Like, tell us I about mean, that. I mean, I do see sex workers. I do see sex workers and I, um, because I'm sex worker friendly and knowledgeable, you know, it, it's not unusual for somebody to <laughs> seek me out. Um, sex workers come with all the same problems as everyone else. Yeah. With the added, with the added difficulty that they also have to deal with sex on a daily basis. Whereas somebody who's, you know, having issues around sex can kind of decide to avoid it for a while, take a break, <laughs> right? Yep. Okay, well, I'm going to take a break until I sort this out. Well, that becomes an additional issue because the question then is, if you do take a break from work, where are you financially and what do you do? So there are an extra set of issues. Also, a lot of times with partner issues, mm -hmm. um, and so I do, I've done some couple work with a partner who's not the sex worker and the right. sex worker in trying to discuss what boundaries are and what things look like to get over some of the main issues because people forget that you know sex workers have lives completely yeah. separate lives yeah um, and they have partners and their partners and many people have partners who know what they do yes yeah that's and, a huge you know, working with that um also with couples who work in the industry um and that's interesting because sometimes that you know i mean jealousy is definitely a theme that runs through um, yeah 
and jealousy. Dealing with that, so yeah. Jealousy can de- definitely be a common theme in any any relationship, yeah. whether or not I mean, you're expert or not. Well, I think you know. I think I just did a podcast on jealousy and envy on my podcast recently, and um, what I was talking about with this uh, amazing therapist who had written an article that was brilliant. What we were talking about was was the differences. And I was saying, I don't really get jealous. And he was like, ever? And I was like, well, no, not ever in my life. But now in the relationship that I'm in, um, the the marriage that I'm in, I don't because we've been together 13 and a half years. And so Mm -hmm. I feel very secure in his feelings for me. And I also feel very secure in the relationship. I don't worry that somebody's going to come and grab him and take him away. Um, so jealousy isn't a thing, but I still have envy sometimes. Like if I'm working and he's getting to have fun, I might, have, <laughs> I might be envious. Um, I also can experience jealousy in new relationships sometimes. You know, I'm pretty pretty confident. Um, and so, um, and that's because I do work on myself. Not, you know, I mean, that, people don't realize, you know, the, the way you get to be in, in this position of confidence and comfort with yourself is actually by doing work on yourself. And I do. Yeah. Um, and so jealousy is not a big thing for me, but envy definitely crops up. Wow. I mean, how do you like when 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 you have issues? Like, who do you go to? I know you said you work on yourself, but like, is there any times that that you seek someone too? When- well, yeah. When I say I work on myself, I don't mean I'm doing it alone. No. I mean, I do do, <laughs> I do do stuff alone, but I have um I have a, a a peer that we talk every week, and so we just we do a lot of stuff back and forth. Um, I have a supervisor that I see. And um, I see this, my supervisor monthly, if um, something came up that was more than that, and it was to do with a client, I could see him more often. Um, I have gone back into therapy at times when I felt a need for that. I've done personal development. So there's all sorts of ways that I do stuff, but I always have outlets and places where I can um, I can get help because um, it's essential. You can't work with clients unless you're doing well. Absolutely. That's so, so important. And you set such a good example for that too. So thanks for sharing. Uh, Dr. Laurie Beth, I'd love to go into some questions here that came in from the audience. And I know we were talking about free and like, you know, we should be charging for stuff. A couple questions that came in from the audience. You're free to answer. We are free to skip. It's up to you. But let's go into it because now we just have a few minutes left here. This person from Twitter writes in the book, The Body Keeps the Score, is great in discussing how trauma affects the body. How do the penis and vulva hold trauma? No different than the rest of the body. Just a body part. It's a body part. So, um, you know, what he talks about a lot is the way we hold it, it. It's neural, right? It's nerves. And we've got nerves. So we've got nerves in the vulva, we've got nerves in the penis. So the same way everywhere, um, there isn't any real difference. Gotcha. Next person writes in, I've been in a relationship for three and a half years with my partner. And before meeting him, I was experimenting with open relationships. How can I tell my monogamous partner that I'm not fully monogamous? Ah, okay. So um, that's a delicate one if you've never mentioned it before. Um one way of doing that is starting to talk about what your past looked like. And if you haven't shared that with them, it's a good, good thing to be looking at doing. Um, and seeing their response. Right. If it looks like they're going to find it really difficult. I would definitely suggest doing it with, with a coach mm-hmm. um, instead of doing it on your own. If it looks like it's going to become a very sticky conversation. Um, there are couples where one person is monogamous and the other person is not, it Mm. can be done. Um, I, I have like a minor, a subspecialty in that because I wrote an article on it once. So all these people have come to me over the years (laughs) from that article. Um, it can be done. It is hard work. It's harder work than when you're both, your orientation is both the same. But it can be done, but you do have to negotiate it very carefully. So if this is something that hasn't been negotiated, I would suggest feeling out what they think about open relationships. Um, 
finding a way to talk about your past. And then if you think it's going to be a really big bugbear, like you can't move it from the past to how you're feeling in the present, get some help to have that conversation be one where there's a professional there who can help translate and explain and keep you civil with each other. Perfect. And we'll be plugging Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's links in the show notes if you haven't clicked already in case you're looking for her expert advice. Um, next question we have, uh, what are some ways my partner and I can spice up a relationship besides the common messaging that you see in society, i.e. introducing a toy, going to the strip club, role-playing, lingerie, and et cetera? Um, so, you know, you're saying you don't want to try the common way. So what I would suggest is go to erotica um, mm. and in order to figure out what might be a good way to spice your relationship up. I send my clients to erotica. I send them mm. to written erotica. I right. send them to audio porn and porn. You know, you have your choice. Um, there are also lots of movies. If you don't like straight porn, if that's not your thing and you want something with a storyline, I've got an ebook. It's a hundred movies that are not X-rated with all sorts of movies that are pretty hot and pretty heavy in all sorts of different ways, but there are no cum shots, right? So, <laughs> you know, um, but I, I suggest that the two of you start exploring and um, you can each go off and read your own stuff and find stuff and then bring it back. It's like reading to each other can be really hot um, and watching things together can be really hot. But that's where your exploration starts. And that's how you decide what you're going to do to spice things up instead of just kind of going, oh, let's try role playing this week. Right. Go and see what's out there and see if something grabs you. And if it grabs you, that's the direction you go in. Gotcha. And last question, and we're just going to squeeze this one in. Um, this one is coming in from a sex worker as well. So this person is writing in, I have a regular. He treats me really well. We've been together for about a couple of years now. He pays me wonderfully. However, um, where am I? Oh, shoot. Sorry. <laughs> However, he tends to trauma dump all the time uh, in terms of like just like dropping everything on me with his work day. And now it's coming to a point where I am done with it. What can I say to my regular? I don't want to lose him. That's hard if you've not set a boundary before. Um, I think if you can have a sensitive conversation, I think if I were in your position and you really don't want to lose him, I would give him 10 minutes off the clock and say, I just want to talk to you about something. And then say, um, I know you have, I know that one of the reasons, one of the things that you appreciate in our relationship is being able to tell me um, some of the things that have been causing you issues during the day. Uh, but I've noticed recently that there's been an awful lot and it's been a bit overwhelming for me. Is there a way that we can negotiate this differently? And I think the, the offering him the 10 minutes or the 15 minutes to have the conversation because you're raising an issue to, and you're letting him know that you really want to still keep working with him should make that an easier conversation and you can negotiate what will work. It also shows him that you value him. Now he may or may not be okay with that and you may still lose him, but at least you can try to have that conversation in a way that he might be able to hear you. Cause he's probably, that's probably not the only reason he's coming to you. But if it's gotten worse recently, he might actually need some actual professional help and you might be wanting to suggest that. So yeah. I really feel you, you you might get more for this part of things by actually talking to a, a coach or a counselor or a therapist. Yeah. And that's a, another thing that sex workers, you know, we, we're not therapists. <laughs> so just throw that out there. But yeah, that's, that's really, really sound advice for sure. But Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, where can we find you before we let you go? <laughs> so the easiest way is drloribethbisbee.com. That's my website. Um, it's got links to most of my stuff. I'm on um, Instagram at, I'm at Dr. Bisbee, uh, Twitter at Dr. Bisbee, TikTok, I'm at Lori Beth UK. Um, on my website, on the contact page, there is a way to book a time with me. There's a way to send me an email. Um, there'll be phone numbers up there soon. If you wanted to send a text and didn't feel like emailing. Um, and, um, there's also, um, connect to my PR person. If you're somebody who wants to hire me, you know, to interview me. And if you're somebody who wants to hire me to do something in media, then there's a link to the, 
the agent, which is always nice. So all of that <laughs> you can do as well. Um, but if you're looking for my help, the, all the links are, are on my website. And also there's stuff on Instagram as well. Um, on Instagram, I've got a book now button that gives you some choices. Uh, my link tree is also on Instagram, which gives links to like the, the kind of most popular services. So whatever works best for you and is most comfortable for you. Awesome. And all those links are in the show notes below. So be sure to click that before hopping off and before finishing the episode. But for everyone else that's listening, it's new episodes every single Sunday. It's stripped by Sia on all podcast platforms. Feel free to rate five stars on Spotify or write a nice review on Apple. It's really up to you. Maybe you want to subscribe to Patreon. It's patreon.com slash stripped by Sia and stripped by Sia on Twitter and Instagram. And that is it, folks, for this week's episode. Thank you so much, Dr. Bisbee, for coming on the show today. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. You're listening to Stripped by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, music by Ted D, graphic design by Maria Bellandarama, and photography by Ian Dabrin.